Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good afternoon, THMC. Ooh, let's try that again. Good, good afternoon, THMC. <laughs> Happy New Year, guys. Uh, last time I was here, I think it was like December, right? So it feels like it's been forever. I miss you guys. Um, obviously, when uh, the tragic events unfolded in, right here in your backyard in Monterey Park, um, I really thought about your church, um, even though... Uh, a lot of the members or the victims were from Chinese descent. Uh, the fact that this church uh, is very located, um, you know, proximity-wise to where the shootings took place. I thought about your church. Um, I thought about this region. And, you know, they say that when, when one part of the body suffers, you know, the, the other parts suffer together as well. And I'm so glad that you guys are praying for the victims. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys are giving towards any other causes there, but... Regardless, I just love the fact that you guys are rec pausing, taking a time to kind of recognize what actually took place there and as a church to be able to at least pray into it. So, um, yeah, uh, Eliza told me about the new series that's starting, um, that has already started. I know my partner Chris was here last uh, couple of weeks uh, straight, and she kind of kicked off this series talking about not just the stories of faith, but even some of the key practices that has made us grow in faith. And so today I have a message that I want to share with you, and the title of that message is Ask, Seek, and Knock, based on Matthew 7, 7 through 11. So without further ado, can I just ask uh, if we can begin with a word of prayer? So I'll close our eyes. Can I just invite you as we pray, if you could just... Um, just open up your, your hands in a posture of prayer. Just as a way of recognizing Christ's presence. Just acknowledging that he is here. That his grace is ever present for every need that we have. Not every want, but every need. So Jesus, I present every soul that is here today worshiping you. And we just come with open arms, with open hands. For you yourself said, none of us will live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from your mouth. And I pray that today, as we look at what you said, how you instructed your disciples to pray, that we too would find hope, that we too would find courage, that just as THMC is in this journey documenting these stories of faith, that this will be a church that grows in faith, that grows in trust, that grows, God, in their continual, ongoing relationship with you. So come, Holy Spirit. Illuminate the word, but most importantly, magnify Jesus here. Would you exalt Jesus and would you glorify Jesus in this place today? And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11 uh, has a lot of personal significance and meaning for me. Um, but if I'm to be really, really honest, um, I used to really hate this passage uh, this was a particular passage in the Bible that made me question the Bible. It actually made me even question God's character. So I have a very complex relationship with this particular passage, and I have to kind of honestly admit that to you guys, because as we go into our text today, and as I kind of expound on it, maybe some of you guys might feel this tension in your heart between what Christ says and what has actually sort of unfolded in your life. In Jesus, in this passage, as Eliza uh, read, 
Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Let me just read it again. If you guys can just turn there with me. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, Jesus says, hey, that door is going to open. But can I ask you this afternoon, has there ever been a time in your life where you did ask and you did not receive? Or when you really did seek and you did not find? Have you had times in your life where you've knocked on that door and that door remained tightly shut? Can anyone resonate with the questions that I'm asking here? Because I can tell you from my own personal life and journey, and hence why I had such a complex relationship with this passage, is that there were many seasons in my life where I did ask and I didn't receive, when I did seek and I did not find, when I did knock and that door did not open. One of the key prayer uh, points for me growing up uh, in the church and growing up in a Christian family was I used to pray for two things. The first thing was in regards to my biological mom. See, when I was five years old, um, my mom uh, decided to leave my family. I was still living in Korea at that time. And uh, I still remember the very last night that I actually saw her because I woke, woke up in the middle of the night. I could hear all this commotion happening kind of in the main house kind of grounds. And it was like the sound of people fighting, yelling, screaming at each other. It was like my, my mom and my grandmother. And, you know, I'm five years old, right? And so what, what would any five-year-old do and when you hear all this fighting and commotion and yelling? I just put the blankets over my head, pretending to go sleep and hoping that the noise would go away. But the noise was actually getting closer and closer to the room that I was staying at. And the next thing I know, the, the sliding door opens. And back then in Korea, at least for our family, we, weren't, we didn't sleep in beds. We slept, on, we slept on mats. And I remember hearing, like, my mom. She's crying hysterically. And the next thing I hear is the sound of clothes being ripped down from hangers. I, I hear suitcases, the zipper, zippers being opened. And the next thing I remember was my mom, she actually knelt exactly where I was laying down. She peels back the blankets. I'm like closing my eyes, hoping that this is some terrible nightmare. And she says to me, which in Korean is Jeff, you know, my Korean name. Jehun, mommy's leaving. And that was actually the, the last memory the most vivid memory that I would have. You know, some memories are so vivid in your mind that you can actually remember, like, even what it smelled like. It's so visceral. That particular memory, it was that visceral for me. But it was that memory of my mom that actually drove me to pray every day. I did not skip a single day. Kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. Lord, if you were powerful, bring my mom home. God, if you're good, please bring back, bring back my mom into my life. And I knocked, and I really did seek, and I really did ask multiple times, but I did not receive, I did not find, and that door had remained unopened. The second prayer topic that really was at the centerpiece of my life was regarding not my biological mom, but it was actually regarding my father. My father, he was diagnosed with polio when he was very young. He, um, I think it was like when he was 10 or 11. He, and I don't know if you guys know what polio is, but, you know, his right leg, or is it his left? I think his right leg never fully developed. And so he's been on crutches ever since. I think Eliza actually ran into my dad at a restaurant. Uh, my father told me like a couple of months ago. And you know, he's been on crutches ever since. And, you know, I remember growing up as a kid in church, hearing all these stories about Jesus healing the blind, about making the mute talk or making the lame walk. And I just thought, oh, this is so easy for Jesus, right? Because he's done it so many times in the Bible, he can do it again in my dad's life. So that also drove me to pray all throughout my childhood years. God, if you're real, please heal my dad's life. God, if you're truly powerful, if you're truly Jehovah Rapha, please make my dad walk again. You know why? Because every other kid I saw would play sports with their dad and 
I never had that ability. I remember trying to play catch with my dad. It was kind of really sad because he would sit on a, on a stool or a chair, and, you know, I'm eight, nine years old, so my aim is not that good. And if the ball would go soaring past his head, which often would, I would have to run to the other side, retrieve the ball, pick it up for him. And I just never got to play soccer, football. Like, I never got to do these things that I get to do with my son right now. And those are just some of the more trivial reasons, but there were meaningful reasons to me as a kid growing up. But, you know, no matter how much I asked, I did not receive an answer to that prayer. No matter how many times I sought, how many times I knocked on that door for healing from my dad, nothing ever came about. So personally for me, when I would read Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, or if I was a member of a church and I'm sitting in the pews just like you are, and I would hear a pastor talking about this particular passage, the word that comes to mind is that I would be very triggered. And I wonder if maybe there's some of you who are sitting here this afternoon, even as I'm sharing these stories, even as I'm reciting over and over again what Jesus plainly says in Scripture, if there's a tension that's there, if there is a, um, maybe even a frustration or doubt or resentment that's there. And I just want to acknowledge the fact that if, if you feel those things, um, I personally understand. And I'm hoping that by the end of today's teaching, uh, you will truly understand the meaning of what Jesus is getting at here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Because this particular passage, Jesus instructs, instructs us about how we can experience life in our prayers again. Jesus is actually coaching us. He's actually discipling us about how to have fresh power in our prayers, how to pray the kind of breakthrough prayers that breaks past disappointment, doubt, unbelief. And so I want to share with you three things, three, three ways that Jesus is instructing us as a church family to pray. And I'm hoping that um, as we talk about this, that this will also encourage your faith and that it will also encourage you, most importantly, to pray. Can I get an amen? So if you guys are taking notes, if you guys are, here's the first point of today's message. The first thing that Jesus instructs us how to pray in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11 is this. Pray with persistence. Pray with persistence. Can you turn to the person sitting next to you and just, you be the preacher for a minute and just say, you need to pray with persistence. All right. All right. That's pretty good, okay? But come on, let, let's really put on the, the preacher persona, right? And turn to someone, someone sitting someone behind you or in front of you and say the same thing again. You need to pray with persistence. Yeah. That's right. I like it. I like it. There's much more conviction in their voice there. Okay. Now, where do I get this whole notion that we are to pray with persistence? Look at verse 7. This particular passage begins with Jesus saying, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And at first glance, it looks like almost Jesus is saying, look, just ask once, and you will receive. Seek once, maybe twice, and you will find. Maybe just knock one, two, maybe three times, and boom, that door is going to open. But, you know, also some people, when you look at how the text is translated in English, it just looks like it's a one-time request. Just ask once and boom, you're going to receive. Seek once, you're going to receive. Knock on that door just once. If you knock hard enough and loud enough, that door is going to open. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Right? That's not what Jesus is saying because that's not how it's actually worded in the original language. If you actually look at the Greek, the better translation is not ask, seek, knock. It's Asking, seeking, knocking. The ING basically creates this language of a continuous, repeated action. That's exactly how the Greek is worded. So better way to translate this is keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. It's an ongoing, continuous, repeated 
action. In other words, what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 is, you need to pray with persistence. You need to pray with the kind of determination that doesn't give up, that doesn't give out, that has resilience in prayer. Can I get an amen? And the question in THMC is, do you pray with this kind of persistence in your life? Do you pray with this kind of this determination that when you go to God, like, I'm just not going to give up, I'm not going to give in, but I'm going to pray and I'm going to contend for a breakthrough, right? Do you pray like that, right? Because I think a lot of us as Christians, well, no matter how many years you've been in the church, we start well in prayer, right? But we don't stay well enough, long enough in prayer. We don't end well in prayer. Maybe you have a family member or friend that you've been really praying for. Maybe throughout the pandemic, they've just not only wandered from the church, but they really wandered from the faith. And maybe that person, a sibling, a parent, a father, a mother, has been just been in your heart for so many years where you're just praying for that person to have an encounter with God. But the, no, no matter how much you pray, as months go by and years go by, rather than seeing them get closer to God, you actually see the opposite, them traversing in the opposite direction. Maybe there's some, a person that you know that's battling a chronic illness or sickness, you know, uh, and they haven't really seen a lot of progress or improvement or healing. Do you continue to pray for that person? Do you continue to pray with the kind of persistence that God will touch that person's body and heal them? Some of you guys, as you guys are beginning this new year, I'm sure you're praying for jobs, Lots of transition in the marketplace. There's been a lot of layoffs, a lot of economic downturn. Maybe some of the thing, things are very near and dear to your heart, and you're praying for these things, but you're not seeing anything come to fruition. And again, maybe you're starting the year well in prayer, but will you end the year well in prayer is the question, especially when you don't see much change, when you don't see much happening. You know, my daughter... Uh, she's quite the theologian, you know, she, uh, and I noticed that with kids, they ask the hardest theological questions, right? <laughs> like, it doesn't matter whether how many years I studied in seminary, but they ask like the darnest questions, right? So my daughter, you know, um, she heard me give gave this teaching once, and she was sitting there once, and she's like, Daddy, you know, if God is so powerful, if God is so loving, why would he have us even persist in prayer? If you can just make it happen, right? If you can just snap his finger, right? As if he's genie, right? <laughs> right? Like, why doesn't he just, why, why make us persist in prayer, right? When he has the power to just to make it happen right then. And I was like, dang, that is a hard question, girl, right? I don't know how to answer that question in a very nuanced way. And, I, I, and you know, for kids, they, they love narratives, and they love stories. And I remember, rather than just kind of saying it for what it is, I actually answered that question by uh, being reminded of this anecdote. And I'm not sure how true it is. It might be more of an allegory. I'm not sure. But I want to share this story with you that may give some sort of, at least one partial answer as to why my God might have you persist in prayer. And it's this. There's a story about a man who used to live up in the cabins in the mountains. And one night, he gets woken up to this... The sound, and it was actually the, the sound of God's voice. And the Lord comes to this man and says, I have an assignment for you. And he says, I want you to go outside. And I want you to walk towards this, this certain precipice, but where you will see this large boulder. And as a man did as the Lord was instructing him, he comes to that boulder, and he hears the voice of the Lord again saying to him, here's now what I want you to do. I want you to put your hands up against that rock. Push squarely with all your might and move. I mean, not move that boulder. He says, I just want you to push against that boulder, against that rock with all your strength and all your might. So this person did. And this person's routine from that day forward was he would get up in the mornings. He would go out to that certain precipice and then he would find that large boulder, boulder square his shoulders squarely against that rock, put his hands against there and just push and push and push for hours with all of his might. And this went on for days, for weeks, and, and months. And he got really discouraged at one point because he noticed that the rock had not moved, not even a millimeter. So one night, as he's about to go to bed, you know, he has this thought. 
he has this heart of complaint. And, you know, he doesn't say anything, but he goes to bed. He wakes up the next morning, and he decides, I'm not going to go back out there again. I'm not going to go back out there and push. What's the point? And the Lord comes to him, and he begins to complain to God. And he says, Lord, I've been pushing against this rock for such a long time. It has not even budged. I'm never going to be able to move it. Why am I killing myself and wasting all my time, energy, and resources trying to do this? Because I put in my time, I put in the effort, and nothing seems to be working. What is wrong? Why, why, am, I, am I failing something here? And to this, the Lord compassionately responds to this man. He says, my friend, when long ago I asked you to serve me, by going out to that precipice, finding that large boulder and rock, asking you to push against it with all your strength and all your might. Never once did I mention to you that I expected you to move it. Your task was to simply push. And now you come to me thinking that your strength has been spent and that you have failed, but is that really so? Just look at yourself. Your physical strength has greatly increased. Your determination and your resolve has been heightened. Your prayer life has been deepened. He says, through persistence and opposition, you have grown much. And now your abilities now surpass what you used to have. And yet, you're sitting there saying to me, I have not moved this wrong. Why does God have us persist in prayer? Sometimes we look at prayer, church, as a means to just change the circumstances of our life. I would rather offer to you a different explanation. In God's eyes, prayer is not just a means or a ways for you to change your life circumstances, to just make my life better and my life more comfortable and to surround myself with more things. Prayer is not just about you, you changing your life, life circumstances. Prayer is ultimately about God changing you. It's about as you engage in the wrestle of prayer, which requires much faith, which we'll talk about in the next point, as you engage in persistence prayer, as you engage in determination prayer, engage in long seasons of contending and praying, something happens to you. You change. Your faith grows. Your trust in God deepens. And now you become the agent to be able to change the circumstances around you because you are the very person that has grown. So rather than seeing prayer as just as a means to change my circumstance, what if we could see prayer as a way of saying, God, through prayer, change me. Make me a better follower of Jesus. Make me more like you, Jesus. Make me have the kind of trust that Jesus had when he went to the cross. Make me the kind of person that could move in the power of the Spirit that I saw the early church has. Prayer changes things, but most importantly, it changes people. Can I get an amen? But it doesn't happen because you ask once, you seek once, you knock, you knock once. It happens through persistent seasons of prayer. And the acronym that I want to offer to you is the acronym PUSH. And PUSH sometimes stands for this. It stands for pray until something happens. P-U-S-H. Pray until something happens. And don't be surprised if that something that happens is not a change in your circumstances, not in the first end. Don't be surprised if the first thing that actually does happen is a change that gets materialized in you. Are you guys with me? So pray with persistence. Secondly, pray with confidence. Pray with confidence. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 8. Jesus lays out um, in verse 8 a promise. Or should I say a triple promise? Because again, he says, everyone who asks is going to receive. The person who's going to seek is ultimately going to find, and the one that knocks, the door will ultimately eventually be open, is the way that Jesus is presenting this promise to us. And when I looked at some of the commentaries and read some of the scholars, what they say is that Jesus' way of offering not one, not two, but three assurances or three promises is to give you triple the assurance. What is the, why is he wanting to increase your assurance 
that when you pray, something will happen. Because when you pray, he wants you to pray with confidence. Can I get an amen? That when you pray, he wants you to pray with the kind of expectancy that, yes, as the acronym says, when I pray, something will happen. So that's why he's saying, look, he's upping the ante. He's saying, look, I'm not going to give you this assurance once. I'm going to give it to you twice. I'm giving it to you a threefold assurance so that you can pray that much more with faith, with determination, confidence, and boldness. Can I get an amen? And the question is, again, THMC, is when you pray, do you pray with that kind of boldness? Do you pray with that kind of confidence that when you do ask, you will receive, and that when you do seek, ultimately you will find, and when you knock, that ultimately the door will be open, that when you pray for someone who's been diagnosed with cancer, that God can be moved to actually touch and heal that person, that when you pray for your personal needs, that God not only hears from heaven, but that he's actually moved to respond, that when you pray for nations, that your prayers actually make some kind of a difference, right? We live in a very secular Mm, what's the word here? Skeptical society. And that actually touches even Christians. Right? So there's this low hum of resistance and skepticism of like questions like, does my prayers really matter? Does my prayers really touch things? Can they really change things? And in the face of the ebb and flow of where culture and society is heading, Jesus is saying, pray not with skepticism, but pray with expectancy. Pray with trust and pray with boldness and pray with confidence that your Father in heaven will hear and that he will be moved to respond. What Jesus is basically saying is not just do you believe in prayer, but do you believe me, right? Do you believe me that you, do you take me at my word, right? Because if we don't have this thing called confidence and confidence expectancy, um, you know, it's going to be like a car without an engine. It's going to be very hard to move things in prayer, right? And that's why Jesus is saying when you pray, you need to pray with confident expectation. Um, you know, one of the ways that I can illustrate this is, you know, one of my favorite um, black preachers is a man by the name of Tony Evans. Have you guys ever heard of Tony Evans, right? Um, he's probably maybe more my generation. You, you guys probably haven't really heard of him as much. But, um, you know, he shared this one particular story where he was invited to preach at this evangelistic rally. You know, we have like Harvest Crusade here. And back where he lives, he had their, their, their own version of this. Um, I believe that the rally was taking place somewhere in, like, Columbus, South Carolina. And he was one of many speakers who was supposed to share the gospel that night. And about 20, 25,000 people were supposed to be coming to this football stadium uh, where they're going to hear the good news of the gospel. But as the organizers were getting ready for the day of the event, they received some bad news. They, they found out that there was this storm um, that was sort of in the forecast, and that most likely it was going to create um, a lot of rainy conditions, stormy conditions. We just went through a lot of that recently in the last month, right? Um, and so they're really just conflicted. Do we cancel the event? What do we do? And the day of the event arrives, they go up and they look at the clouds and look at the sky. You know, you could see all the rain clouds just even as I was driving here. Um, so they're like, maybe, maybe we have to cancel this, right? And so organizers got together, all the speakers got together, and they decided, hey, Let's pray, right? Let's hold a prayer meeting, and then let's make a decision afterwards. So they go downstairs to the basement of the football stadium, and they're all getting into the circle. They're all holding hands. You know, they're doing the christian thing where they're all praying together. And as Tony Evans is watching every single person go around saying their prayers, he noticed something. He noticed a lot of these Christians, these Christian leaders praying very safe prayers, Careful prayers, the just-in-case-God-doesn't-answer prayers. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Lord, if it's your will, please stop the rain from coming. God, if it's in accordance with your good plan, please keep the conditions nice and sunny and dry. Lord, if it's for your glory, of course it is for God's glory, right? Please keep the rain from coming. Now, let me just say here, Jesus does command us in another passage in the Gospel of Matthew, that we are to pray not in the name of the Father, but we are also to pray what? 
his name, his kingdom, his will. Okay? So there's nothing inherently wrong about these people and these leaders praying this, but here's what Christians do. They mask their doubt and their unbelief by praying these safe, if it's your will prayers. It sounds like they're praying like as Jesus taught them to pray in the Lord's Prayer, but really it's kind of a prayer to camouflage their unbelief, their doubt, their own skepticism. And this is really what I'm going at here. And Tony Evans kind of sensed that in the room. And then the next person that was in line to pray was a woman by the name Linda. She's an African-American woman. And then when it was her turn to pray, she prayed very differently. She prayed something like this, and I quote, Lord, thousands have gathered here to hear the good news about your son. It would be a shame on your name for us to have all of these unbelievers go without hearing the gospel, especially when you control the weather and you can stop it. So we need you to demonstrate your power right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, address this storm. Amen. Right? And that concludes the prayer meeting. They go back upstairs, and they could still see the rain clouds coming from a distance. And now they're like frantically running around trying to cover up all the equipment and sound and making sure all the instruments and speakers and stuff is not getting damaged. And this one organizer comes up to Linda and basically hands her an umbrella. And she said, no, thank you. I will not be needing that. And this is the craziest thing happened, okay? This is, this is a documented story, okay? Again, this is Tony Evans. This is a very reputable pastor. I don't think he was making this stuff up. But he and his wife are standing on stage, and he's seeing all this commotion going around. And the rain clouds are only a few feet away now. But as soon as the rain clouds would hit the stadium, the craziest thing would happen. The rain clouds would split in two. It will go around the stadium converge back on the other side of the stadium, and then it will go pass on. And then for the next series of clouds, he actually watched the same thing happen again and again and again to the point where the organizers realized, like, hey, maybe something is happening here. They decide not to cancel the event. The event goes on. Thousands of people hear the gospel that night, but more importantly, thousands responded to it in faith. And Tony Evans, as he's reflecting back on the events that took place on that night, he asked himself this question. He said, what was it about that woman's prayer that made God answer in such a, in such a powerful manner? What was it about the way that the woman prayed that moved the heart of God so much that he responded in such a miraculous, supernatural way. And his conclusion was this. It's not because she prayed these safe, cautious, hiding my unbelief, so I will pray if it's your will kind of prayers. It's because he, she had the expectancy. She trusted not only the power of God, but for the character of God. To say, Lord, please do something. And with that confident expectation, and that kind of confident prayer, God moved. God moved. Confident prayer means having confidence in God, THMC. When you pray confidently, that means you have confidence in God. It's a reflection of your faith. It's a reflection of your trust in God. Can I get an amen? So don't just pray with persistence. Don't just pray with confidence, but last but not least, pray with trust. Pray with trust, okay? Look at Matthew chapter 7, and look at, let's look at the second half of it, where in verses 9 through 11, Jesus says this, Of which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then know... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And, you know, when I first read this passage, you know, I was kind of confused. What is Jesus trying to get at here? Breadstone, fish bread. I mean, like, what, what's he getting at here, right? Um, and the best way that I can illustrate this is, look, uh, how many guys are parents in this room? Just, just by a show of hands, right? Right? 
Any, just one parent? Okay, nobody else? Okay. Oh, we got, we got a hand in the back. Yes, I see you, brother. All right. I, you know, when my wife found out that we were expecting with our first child, right, uh, my oldest daughter, Emily, she's 13. And so I remember, um, you know, being a first-time dad, I was, like, so scared and so nervous. And I had no idea what it's going to be like to, to be a girl dad. And I remember the first thing that I did is, like, I love to, like, research Right? I love to like go online and like research the best things for the cheapest price. Like it has to be both. It has to be the best things, but it has to be for a cheap price. If my wife gives me a birthday present and she paid full price for it, I'm like, you need to return it. Right? <laughs> you need to return it. I want to get it when it's on sale, right? Because I'm all about efficiency in that way, right? So um, when my wife found out that you know she was pregnant, I'm like going online, I'm like scouring through all the Amazon reviews, you know, not knowing that a lot of them are fake and paid, you know, but I'm going through all these reviews, trying to research the best stroller, research the best, you know, baby, you know, like bottle washer and sanitizer or what, whatever, like baby food maker, right? And I had like this like Excel sheet. I still think I have it, right? Like of all, I categorized it like baby bottles, right? Like strollers, like car seats, like, you know, and, and I kind of put like the, 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 the choices. And, and, and I thought about this and I said, you know, that's the heart of every parent, right? Right? That's the heart of every parent is that, they, to the best of their ability, want to give not just good things, but the best things to their children. And that's really what Jesus is trying to say here. It's like, look, if you're earthly fathers, even though they are sinful and broken and imperfect, if they know how to give good things, if they have the kind of heart to want to give the best things to their kids, why would you even question that about your father in heaven? Why would your father in heaven be any different if anything, you should have greater expectancy that your Father in heaven desires to give. Not what you want. That's not what he says in this text, right? But good gifts. And I would even paraphrase that by saying the best gifts. Sometimes, though, your understanding of what a good gift is and God's understanding of a good gift for you doesn't always coincide. Sometimes our wants, we confuse our wants with really what we need. And as a father, God is always not only looking to give us what we want. Because what kind of parent, right? What kind of parent just gives their child what they want? You call that a parent who spoils their child. God is not after perpetual immaturity. He's after maturity in his people. But he will always give you what you need. Right? And he will always give you the good gift, even though that gift may be wrapped in something that's hard, something that's like difficult, something that may be a, a trial in your life. You know, in the Western church, we have a very poor theology of suffering. Right? We have a very, very, very poor theology of how we deal with trials and difficulty and God's role in that and what he's really after. And that in and of itself is another message for another time. But let me just say this. You know, ultimately, what Jesus is going after here is, look, even when you've asked and you haven't received, even when you sought and you did not find, even when you knocked on that door and you didn't, have that door be opened. Whatever you do, don't, do not lose your faith and your trust in God. Because he's a good father. And he is a good father that not only knows your desires, but more importantly, he knows your needs. And because he's after one thing, he's after maturity. He's after you becoming more and more like his son, Jesus. And by the way, do you guys know even Jesus experienced unanswered prayers? Do you remember that scene in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was there contemplating what awaited him at the cross? Do you remember as he was dropping sweats, drops of blood, he was under such intense pressure, the scripture actually literally says that he was dripping and sweating drops of blood. He was under that type of pressure, and he, as he contemplates the cup, 
the cup of drinking God's wrath, that's what it was symbolized in the Old Testament. On your behalf, on your stead, Jesus has a moment of weakness. In his humanity, right, he experienced weakness just like us. And he says, Father, if it is at all possible, may this cup pass over me. He was so terrified about God's own wrath, the punishment that he would receive on our behalf, that in that moment of pure human weakness, he prays and asks the Father, may this cup pass over me. In the Passion of the Christ, the movie, you see this cloud coming over the moon, symbolizing that in that moment, God turns his face away from the sun. His pleas and his prayers for his own salvation would be ignored. Why? Because of your salvation. Because for the salvation of the many who would come into the kingdom. Just because God doesn't answer a prayer doesn't mean that he has failed you. Just because God hasn't answered a prayer that he's not at work in your life. Sometimes God is after the better things, the good things, the greater gifts. And in Jesus' case, the greatest gift was the gospel. It was our own salvation in Christ. To tie this back to my own story as I conclude this message, you know, God never really did answer that prayer regarding my dad's leg. Like I said, to this day, he's on crutches. And now that as he's getting older, the, the wear and tear of being on crutches for decades has now started to have its toll. Like, um, you know, he really hated using like a motorized wheelchair, but now he's, you know, oftentimes using it. My brother and I recently had this discussion. We're like, man, maybe dad has maybe, maybe, maybe 10 more years of mobility left. You know, and it really weighs on our hearts, right? I'm sure it weighs on your hearts too as you guys think about your aging parents and, and how to take care of them in, in their life. And, you know, the point that I'm trying to make is this, is that, you know, the one thing that I wanted to be changed in my dad's life, the one thing that I considered his greatest weakness, now after all these decades, I can honestly say to you, I actually consider that to be his greatest strength. My father is my hero. My father is someone that on this side of eternity, no one that I respect, no one that I admire more. You know, he developed his business by the grace of God, but at the same time, he did it through hard determination at work, even though there were seasons where he would make deliveries on his crutches, and he would come home, and because of the wear and tear in the crutches, he will be bleeding from under his armpits. I remember seeing that kind of sacrifice. I remember seeing that kind of determination. He instilled in me life values, things that I saw just through his own life. And before that, I admire him. And I saw the grace of God at work in his life. And so the very thing that I considered to be his weakness really became his greatest strength. And as regarding my biological mom, yes, God never fully answered that prayer, um, at least not for a very long time, which is another sermon for another day. Um, but, um, you know, during my seventh grade year, I had a wonderful stepmom come into my life. Next to my great-grandmother, um, she is probably the closest person to me that resembles Jesus in her patience in her kindness. And I've always told my stepmom, you know, because of you, all of the years that I had growing up with my mother pain or the lack thereof, right, was healed as a result of your love, your kindness, and your patience in my life. You modeled the unconditional love of Jesus to me. So I believe that even though our earthly prayers don't get answered in the ways that we would like. I believe that God knows our needs. I know that God knows the gifts that we need to have in our life. And I know that our Father is moved to respond to them. Can I get an amen? 
And that's the most important part. If you forget anything in this message, don't forget this third point. This, this message is not about get into a shouting match with God and just tear down that door until something happens. That's not what I'm saying. This message, the cornerstone of this message is that you must trust the character of God, his sovereignty, his providence, and his love for you as a father in your life. And trust that even though the answers to these prayers may come in different ways, he will present you with good gifts, with great gifts. Can I get an amen? Yeah. So without further ado, can I just invite you, THMC, would you just stand with me? Yeah. Yeah. I just want to lead you into a short time of prayer because I think I went a little bit over today. Can I just ask you to place your hands over your heart? I just want you to just let the word of God just sink deep into your heart. And I just want to ask you just an honest question before God today. How many of you here today see sees God in the same way that Jesus sees God, the Father. How many of you really are holding what Jesus says about the character of our Father, about the perfect leadership of our Father, that he is truly perfect in all of his ways? And I know that for some of you, there's, again, as you're listening to this message, Many of you, you might feel a tension. Like, God, I did ask. I did seek. I did knock. And I feel like either I got nothing or I got something that I did not even want. And maybe since that time, there's been this sort of distance from God. Or maybe your view of God has changed. Or maybe that when you hear Jesus saying that he is a good and loving father who desires to give good gifts to you, there's no witness of that in your own heart. And if that is you today, can I just invite you just to ask the Holy Spirit to touch your heart, to heal the unbelief that has come out of disappointment disappointment with God that has come to, that has become more like a heart of stone because of just, you know, unanswered prayers and because you felt like things didn't go your way. And I just want you to confess, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. Forgive me if I have, do not see you as you truly are. And I just want you to pray, Lord, would you restore in me the vision of the Father, the true Father, that through the eyes of Jesus, he is a loving God who desires to give good gifts to us. Can I get an amen? So can I just invite you just to make that prayer? Jesus, help my unbelief. Turn my heart that has been full of disappointment and doubt and make me see again, make me believe again. Make me trust again. Make me pray with confidence and persistence again. I just want to give you just a minute just to pray that prayer. pray that you would melt the heart of stone, melt away the doubt, melt away, God, the disappointment, 
the angst, the tension. And then my brothers and sisters here today, would you just let faith arise, trust arise, confident expectation to arise in the place of those things. I want to just pray for one more thing. Just keep, and again, just keeping your hands over your heart. There's another version of this particular account in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. And it appears in the Gospel of Luke. But in the Gospel of Luke, there's a slightly different variation. Jesus doesn't just say, right, know that your good father desires to give good gifts to you. But he says, know that your good father desires to give the Holy Spirit to you. And what greater gift, right, next to our own salvation can we receive than to receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit? Can I get an amen, THMC? As you guys are now embarking into this new year, you do not have to do it alone. Can I get an amen? The Holy Spirit wants to partner with you. Can I get an amen? He wants to guide you. He wants to illuminate truth into your life. He wants to encourage you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to be the source of that faith, that trust that Jesus is talking about here in this text. It's not just mustering up my own courage, mustering up my own faith, but it's about letting the Holy Spirit do that deep work in us and letting true divine faith arise. Can I get an amen? So can I just invite you to pray and just say, God, I receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. I receive his ministry. I receive, God, his encouragement. I receive his comfort. I receive his revelation. I receive his wisdom. I receive. I receive. And just pray, God, I just ask for more of him, more of the Holy Spirit more of the Holy Spirit in my life. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Move us out of religion. Religion that is enabled by self-will. But move us into a place of genuine faith out of the overflow of the ministry and the work of God in our lives. Come Holy Spirit. Mark your people today. Fill us again for the journey of faith that this year holds for us. And all of God's people said,